there, I'm just popping in at the top to warn you that this podcast episode may include some language that's inappropriate for young ears, as well as a brief discussion of sexual assault. And as always, there will be spoilers ahead. Now enjoy the show! Hey there, welcome to Tear Jerkers, the podcast where we rate movies on a teardrop scale. Because sometimes you just need a good cry. And we're here to tell you where to find it. I'm actor, writer, and decent at karaoke, Maybell. And I'm Kimia, a person who doesn't sing in public as a kindness to others. <laughs> Today we'll discuss battery-powered keyboards, bedridden elders, sex work, and a strange family. And then we'll be finishing up with tissue tunes and get into the songs that are tugging our heartstrings these days. But before all that, we're going to introduce a special guest. It's a friend of ours from way back in elementary school. Hi guys, I'm Caitlin Reed. I'm a writer, filmmaker, and spaceship enthusiast, and I like watching movies. <laughs> we're but, glad to have you. Yeah, yeah. welcome to Tear Jerkers. You are our second ever guest, and we are so honored Ooh. to have you here. Well, I'm honored to be here, guys. This is exciting. So, Katie, where are you coming from with your relationship to crying in general? Oh, man. Okay, so my relationship to crying is kind of a weird relationship you know, just because of, like, life and being raised a uh, female. Uh, but I have a really great story. So because I don't often cry in, like, movie theaters, I was watching The Fault in Our Stars in theaters, right? Oh, and that that's, movie. like, yeah, it's it's a good movie. And it's, like, notorious for being, like, the movie you cry to, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I was, I forgot who I was with, but, like, in front of me was, like, a group of, like, 16, like, 13-year-olds, 13 to 14-year-olds. And it gets to that one point in the movie, and they're all, like, sobbing. But, like, like dramatically sobbing, like, wailing, like, hardcore, like, sobbing, sobbing. Like, probably for show. Like, a little bit too much to even expect. <laughs> and one of them turns around, stares me directly in the eye, looks at my, like, bone-dry face. And then turns back to her friends and whispers, oh, my God, the girl behind us isn't crying. I think she's a frigid bitch. <laughs> and, today, yeah, and, like, today, that's, like, like today, this is, like, the best ex- movie experience I've had, like, in terms <laughs> of incredible. crying. Uh, it's it's I so love great. I to be insulted by a teenager. Right? Oh, yeah. Like, that, I had to check that off my bucket list. I'm like, that is the best. It's, I can't top that, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Teenagers, so. they, they really just cut straight to the bone with their criticisms. Right? They really do. Oh, they mm-hmm. do, yeah. And what about your relationship with our movie this week, Ms. Purple? Oh, so, okay. So this is a movie that I saw when it premiered at Sundance. Um, I, I volunteer with the Sundance uh, Film Festival um, almost every year for the past five years. And so this was just one of the movies that I really wanted to see. Because um, I had seen uh, the director, Justin Chan his first movie back in 2017, and I really loved that that movie. Um, you might know Justin Chan because he was Eric in the Twilight Saga <laughs> franchise. Wow. There yeah. was a guy named Eric in that movie? Yeah. There was what a name random guy named like... Eric. Wait, was he the yeah. one with the stick who went no. like, oh, look, there's a spider or something? Like, that's the, uh, only, he was the character. only character. He's the only Asian guy in it. Yes, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. Him. Yeah, I was yeah. Gonna... congratulations to him for going from like minor background Twilight character <laughs> to like directing gorgeous movies. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So yeah, so like I saw it at Sundance um, and like wanted to see it. It was like on my list. Um, 
And also just because I want to get more exposed to, like, more Asian-American filmmakers, being someone mm-hmm. who is slightly Asian myself, um, I kind of think it's a really cool thing to, like, get in touch with, like, other Asian filmmakers. Um, so I saw it at Sundance and was completely, like, I just, I love, it's a beautiful film. Like, it's gorgeous. And I just, every once in a while, I'll just think about it and be like, oh, yeah, that's such a pretty movie. Yeah. So what's the movie about, if you could just let the listeners know in case they haven't gotten to see it? Yeah, so um, basically Miss Purple is about a young woman named Casey who works at a car- as a karaoke hostess in Koreatown um, in Los Angeles and has to sort of reconnect with her estranged brother during the fa- final days of their father's life. Um, so it's sort of a this slice of life uh, type of drama film. Ooh. Well, like that synopsis alone made me know that I had to be prepared for something pretty intense. Yeah, I I felt similarly. Yeah. When so, I looked it up. Kimia, what was your relationship to this movie? I hadn't seen it and Katie suggested it and I looked at the description and I said, oof. <laughs> <laughs> and then I watched it. I, not gonna <laughs> lie, I did the exact same thing. You were like, Katie said we're watching this movie and I was like, okay, cool. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh this is a film. This is, yeah. I remember, like, the text that I got from Kimio was, like, what's a sad film? And, like, I blamed, like, 17 billion. And then this was the one that I was, like, this is a sad film. It's definitely a sad film. Katie, you listed 20 movies, I think, and 15 of them were not on our list. Oh, yeah. really? Most I was, like, oh, my God. Most of the movies you recommended are now new additions to our list. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Like, this is incredible. Thank you so much. I'm I'm kind of obsessed uh, with film, so like I know. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think before we get too deep into Ms. Purple, we should probably take a quick break. Let's do it. This episode of Tear Jerkers is brought to you by Traditional Asian Regalia. Katie, you said earlier that you're slightly Asian. Do you have yes. any traditional Asian regalia? Um, I don't own any I used to own one from when I was like six um and that no longer Mm. fits me yeah 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 do you have any Mabel um yeah not really um as an adult like so as a Japanese American I have a few like pieces of kimono on my mom's side but I can't access them they are my mom's so technically they Mm. are not mine like disclaimer so yes like i have like some access to kimono or and or like you know more traditional japanese clothing um but i haven't worn it since i was a kid in japan there's like this um i guess tradition would be the word for it for something called shichigo-san which is where like a young girl gets dressed up on her third fifth and seventh birthdays to like have professional photos done and stuff like that. And it's like, um, I don't know, kind of a rite of passage. I do not know how ubiquitous the practice actually is, but like there are pictures of me at ages three, five and seven in full kimono. And then over like the years, I would go back to Japan and sometimes like have a yukata to wear in the summer. And now I have like a very light cotton, robe that I got in Japan that's very like yukata style but I wouldn't call it a yukata I'll just wear it down to the hot tub in the summer like mm. it's it's just a robe but it has like some gorgeous 
print on it um, that is definitely like identifiably Japanese um, textile print. So there's all that, but I really, I think next time I go to Japan, I want to do a rental and actually get oh, fully yeah. dressed up sometime. Oh, that would be so cool. Like, yeah. that's like a dream. <laughs> right? I yeah. I really want to do that. It's actually a very common thing for, like, even girls in Japan to do, to, like, go to a historical site and find a kimono shop nearby and then do a rental for the day, get dressed up and take pictures and then return it. Because, like, they're so... Yeah. like exorbitantly expensive to buy a full set for yourself and it's so much more fun to be able to like rent one and like style for a color scheme and then not yeah. own it forever so like yeah so that's my own background with my culture's traditional clothing yeah I I remember like I did get dressed up around like six or seven in a kimono um and then had like photos taken and like that's all I remember about traditional dress Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just it's such a like interesting thing but like what I love about it is that it is so unique to the region um especially like you see it um whether it's traditional dress in Miss Purple with the hanbok mm-hmm. and it's just being able to see sort of this like expression of culture and clothing is just such an interesting thing especially coming mm-hmm. from America where like most of the time people have no freaking clue what the traditional dress means like you know how yeah. many times I've had to stop people from calling, like, a cardigan and a kimono? Like, oh, my gosh. Don't. Oh, 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 my gosh. It, like, really pisses me off when I, when I hear some American or just, like, some person wearing, like, a silky, like, polyester satin robe with, like, Japanese-style yeah prints on it and they're like this is a kimono and I'm like no it's not it's it's very cute it's a nice silky robe it's not a kimono like stop saying that (laughs) thank you thank you yeah I I feel your pain on that it's just oh (laughs) it it just really bothers me yeah I see it like when I'm shopping online Mm -hmm. things will be labeled as kimonos and I'm like "Mm." no yeah. That's a, it's a garment. It's yeah. not a... Uh, yeah, the term cardigan, has been watered down as, like, a fashion term. It no longer holds a cultural meaning. It now is just, mm-hmm. like, a, f- a fashion word for a robe. Yeah. And that bothers me. Yeah, it's bad. It is bad. It is entirely a cultural appropriation issue. Because it's like you are not understanding this cultural yeah. significance of this word and this garment. Yeah. Therefore, you shouldn't be slapping the term onto anything that remotely is slightly similar. Exactly. Exactly. I, I've i like had some back and forth in my own opinion about like cultural appropriation in regards to non-Japanese people wearing kimono. And my line as it currently is, is like if you go to Japan and you go to a kimono rental store and you rent one and like they like outfit you and they show you how to wear it properly and then you like take cute photos because you're being a tourist. I'm fine with that. Totally okay because like that's an open invitation in Japan. Like you're you're participating in the tourism economy. Like this is an open part of Japanese culture that is there to be shared when you're in Japan. If you are in America and you put on a kimono, then I get a little pissed off. Then yeah. I have problems with you. Yeah. Um, oh, like, that's, especially, that's just me. 
Oh, no, I totally agree with you on that because it's like when you're here in America and you're putting it on and you're not of Japanese descent or you haven't done any of, like, the significance for it, like, it feels... I mean, I'm offended by that. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially yeah. as someone whose family had to deal with losing our cultural culture in order to, like, survive. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's, like, a big, like, middle finger, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I guess this episode has a bonus sponsor, which is Righteous Fury <laughs> at Cultural Appropriation. <laughs> Thank you for sponsoring <laughs> us, Righteous Fury at Cultural Appropriation. We're very glad to have you. Thank you. We really are. (laughs) Let's get back to the show. All right, Katie. So you picked out this movie. You wanted to discuss it. Tell us your thoughts. What made you drawn to this film? Okay. So first thing that immediately struck out to me in this film is that it is beautiful. Um, Like the cinematography Mm -hmm. and the lighting is just, it's a gorgeous piece, but not only that, but it is the type of film that's like hardcore art theater, like art film. Yes. Um, and you don't see that from a lot of like Amer- like Asian Americans, you know? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a space that like a lot of times Asian Americans aren't allowed to be in. Like it's typically a spot like pretty much only allowed for like the white straight men to be a mm-hmm. part of this sort of art house. And, um, and so like one of the reasons why I love it is like not only is it a, like this – Asian direct Asian American director making a story about Asian Americans but it's like set in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. it's not an immigration story because we like we, there's like usually if there is an Asian American movie it's an immigration story you know and so it's like this is about a family who is fully living in the United States and yeah. dealing with the struggles of living in the United States and is very much this like Lars von Trier-esque sort of movie and I picked it because you wanted sad movies, and this is a very sad movie. <laughs> it sure is. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is that, like, it's it's sad in the way that sad things can be in life where it's stressful and everything compounds on each other. Mm-hmm. So instead of having that, like, moment of, like, cathartic release where you can cry, it's it's kind of showing how sometimes in life – Sadness is just constant. It is pain at a constant level. And it's a very difficult to have that cathartic release. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. yeah. I I noticed as I was watching it that there was not a single moment of levity. There wasn't comic relief. There like, was a even, little. There was well, one like, at even, least. Which which one? The moment when the brother puts on 500 miles or you know the song i would walk five you know as soon as he puts that on and then he starts wheeling their dad down the street in his hospice bed like that was a moment of like chuckles with that was kind of light but it just seemed like every moment even like when he is like they're they're playing with the toy piano thing Mm -hmm. like even all those moments just seemed so like colored by the sadness that permeates their relationship. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, hey, sis, check out this piano. Oh, yippee, let's play with it and be kids again. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Just sad the and whole I, time. I think that is that is the weakness I I, I see in this film, um, typically, um, because there aren't really a moments of levity. And the moments of levity are where you need, if you want to have 
what I consider, like, the three points of, like, a really good, like, crying, sobbing film is, like, you need a moment of levity for, like, this sort of, like, empathetic, like, emotional entry point. Um, Mm -hmm. Because unless you know what that specific experience is like, it's going to be hard for you as an audience member to have that moment of relatability, that sort of, like, empathetic entry point without, like, moments of levity. Um, so you kind of mm-hmm. need like a moment of levity and then this sort of like build up of emotion and then the cathartic release to have like a really good sobbing. And that's just kind of something I saw when I was reading reviews on this is because I really enjoyed the film. But I noticed that there's a lot of reviewers who were like, I didn't get it. Like I didn't connect to it. Like it was just too much. And I think that's kind of like I love this film. I do. But I, I do think that the empathetic entry point and having those moments of levity would have been like. Beautiful. It would have been beautiful. Yeah. So I have to say when I turned on this movie, I got super excited just because I saw that the running time was less than an hour and a half long. And <laughs> I had I even wrote in my notes like it gets bonus points for this because goddamn, I'm so tired of two hour movies. Yeah. Or more mm-hmm. or longer. Stop asking for that much of my time. Like an hour and a half concise, like you know what you're doing and you get it done. And so I, I was really excited about that. <laughs> I, I love that it's an hour and a half, too. Um, sometimes it didn't feel like that. It definitely felt no, longer. No, <laughs> it did feel longer than an yeah. hour and a half. Yeah. There was a point where I was like, oh, I think I have like 25 minutes left. And I checked it, it said 33. And yeah. I was like, mm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely indicative of the type of movie um, being a slice of life drama it's like everything mm-hmm. feels slower. And the fact that they did choose uh, to have a very stripped down sort of like soundscape as well made it seem. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Are... um, yeah. Kimia has opinions. <laughs> I wrote literally two lines on my paper and it was at the beginning of the film. And I wrote, let's talk about musical cues in movies. And then I wrote these sad cellos. and like that's it that's literally the only thing I wrote Mm -hmm. the music is very musical and sad and Mm -hmm. lots of strings yeah lots of strings I would like to talk to the the air yeah Yeah. I want to talk to the person who did this (laughs) just a friendly chat you and me make sure they're all right yeah (laughs) make sure I'm all right I like that there was a theme though so I, I seem to, I, I feel like sometimes that there's not, like, a, not a recognizable, like, hero theme throughout a lot of movies sometimes. Um, they tend to go for more, like, a, like what I've mentioned earlier, the sort of soundscape, atmospheric thing. But with the cellos, it's it's got this really nice sort of, like, theme that, like, you, as soon as you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is the move. this is the theme for the movie. Like, <laughs> I'm tuned into that. It was sad right off the bat because yeah. of those fucking cellos. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, and then, like, the moody lighting. Like, that's just mm-hmm. one of those things where you're just like, I'm such a film student, like, weirdo. I was just like, ah, yes, girl, lighting. Like, <laughs> I have to say, I'm pretty sure my moment of accessibility in this film was watching the main character, Casey, having to party at night as part of her job. And she was clearly not having a good time. Mm. Like just, just, you know, drinking and doing drugs with absolutely no reaction, completely dead. I was just like, 
this takes me back to how much I hated partying in college. Like, that was like, I relate to you, girl. Yeah. Oh, man. I related to that, too. Uh, but I think one of my favorite moments, um, besides the iconic 500 miles by the Proclaimers pushing it, uh, was I just, I love the cultural exchange with Octavio mm-hmm. and the quinceanera. Like, mm-hmm. I, I really liked that because that is very much an L.A. experience. This mm-hmm. sort of, like, mm-hmm. this intermixing of cultures and sort of being, like, allowed to see like different groups of people having such mm-hmm. a strong connection to the culture and I, I really liked that yeah 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 that boy was fine too yeah <laughs> <laughs> Octavio's great like he's my favorite like if, if I had an Octavio's like you know save me from the sadness of my world then yes I will totally take that <laughs> Wow, I'm like realizing I did not thirst at all. You didn't thirst in this movie? movie? No. He was right there. He was so thirst worthy. I did not get that. I just, I like dark curly hair. Like, I have to say, I just like, as far as like tropes on men's appearance go, that like shaggy dark curly hair I have such a weakness for. I agree with you. Like,. Uh, I'm so glad you said that because I get made fun of all the time for that. <laughs> no, that's like, why? That no is like fun of you for that. Two hundred percent, what Benedict Cumberbatch had going for him in the role of Sherlock. Yeah, like, pretty much. Yeah, still don't get him, but <laughs> I'm just saying, like, do. like him without the Sherlock hair is disgusting. Truly, I'm sorry. I mean, I know Benedict <laughs> Cumberbatch listens to this podcast, so I apologize to you directly. Benny, but um, I'm sorry, Ben. Yeah, you should stick with the long dark hair that worked so much better than anything else. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I know this film is definitely not everyone's cup of tea, um, and I think that's kind of one of the reasons why, like, my first question when you asked me, like, what's a sad movie you want to talk about? I was like, a happy sad movie, a sad sad movie, or like a movie that's like very distressing to watch and you never want to watch again. <laughs> I think I remember I said, like, the first two are both fine. Um, maybe not the third one. Yeah. I, I hope It's an this... emotionally fragile time for everybody right yeah. now. Yeah. I know. Keeping uh, in context that, like, most of the other movies we watch are, like, Disney Pixar movies. <laughs> and I don't know how to summarize the live action movies we've watched. <laughs> Just, they're yeah. varied. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We do a variety with the live action stuff. Yeah. The the funny thing is that, like, I picked this partially being like, oh, they probably have never seen it before. Like, I thought it was sad. Um, You were right. It definitely was. It was sad. (laughs) I was trying not to go for, like, like like a hurting sad that you just couldn't handle. Um, because I've actually mm-hmm. had to watch some of those before. Like, I think there's this one movie that, like, I refuse to ever watch again because it was so, like, painful. Like, physically painful to watch because it was so sad. That, like, what is it? Kimia uh, <laughs> writes it down. <laughs> well, I'm going to so, put it on the list. We have that category on the list that's, like, is it a certified cry? And I mark the ones that are, like, this will fuck you up. Yeah. So that we know. So, yes, tell me what Kimia's it is. Kimia's here for the hard shit, okay? Her tolerance no, is high. She's got to snort the really rough stuff in order to feel anything. No, I don't want to get fucked up. So, okay, what so is back, it, Katie? Back when I was in film school, we watched this movie from, from 
I think it's like it's called Margaret. It's from t- 2011. Um, it stars uh, Anna Paquin and Mark Ruffalo, and like it's a very intense drama, and it's very much like um, like a an issue about like perspective and like getting your stories mixed up and like misunderstandings um and like crime issues uh so it's just a very like heavy movie and I don't know what it was like because it's like I haven't seen it since um I like I don't know the specifics of it anymore all I remember is like I watched it and it was just so much of like an emotional roller coaster to watch that I was like afterwards I like had to take a shower and I just like sobbed in my shower just as like a release from like all that stress mm-hmm. of watching what this character had to go through. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, and I remember like I was like maybe like 19 or 20 when I watched it. So it's like I definitely have matured emotionally since then, but like I'm always afraid to like go back and rewatch it because it's like do I want to put myself through that again? <laughs> Yeah, I I just went to go put it on the list and mark, you know, that it was really, really sad. And it's already on here. And on my certified cry column, I wrote, I don't even remember if I wrote this or Maybell if you wrote it, but it says, fucks you up for days. Yeah, that would be you because I don't use that. I think I texted that to you as like my example of a fuck up movie. Um, Yeah. So we will not watch that. And thank you very much for the warning. (laughs) Yeah. So I have to say, it took me a while to get wet-eyed watching Ms. Purple. Um, and I think part of it is, like, the the general tone of the movie is a little bit more of a consistent, dry sorrow. And so mm-hmm. it doesn't have, like, the emotional highs and lows that another, like, tear-jerky movie, like, like we did recently, um, Irreplaceable You. Oh, yeah. I mm-hmm. was crying for hours on that movie but also bouncing between laughing really really hard and crying really really hard whereas this movie was a little bit more in the center and um so my note for when I finally first started tearing up was when Carrie who's the main character's brother sees his Uma, his mom in the parking lot and his mom had like abandoned their family when they were children and he recognizes her and she pretends not to know who he is. Like that broke my heart and got got me a little wet eyed there. Yeah. Like, I I think that's really interesting what you said. I agree with you that it's it doesn't have emotional highs and lows. It's just like a steady sadness. And mm-hmm. Katie, you said earlier about what was it? Like having a moment of levity as that like I don't know, like pulls you in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I think it it like weakens you, you know, (laughs) and then it punches you with a sad thing. And this movie didn't do that. And I was like, this movie's so sad. Why am I not crying? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt. I I feel very, um, I don't know. I hate using the word validated because it, I've just heard it so much and now it annoys me, (laughs) but yes, I feel like seen. I feel seen. Thank you. Yeah, I love yeah. to say that. I do feel very seen. Thank you, both yeah. of you, for acknowledging that before I could say anything about it. Yeah, it's. I think it's it's done on purpose because um, I don't see why they wouldn't mm-hmm. do this on purpose because it is a very yeah. much of a melancholy, like numbness throughout because mm-hmm. you are so sad. Um, and I think that um, the director kind of, that's what he wanted to go for is this sort of like life sometimes is shit and sometimes is incredibly one note 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sometimes very difficult to find those moments that take you out of that. And maybe that's just my interpretation of it, especially now living in this like rough year um, that we're having. Mm. But mm-hmm. there, yeah. there are there are moments where in my own life I do go, oh, I've been living in this sort of one note melancholy for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, as as like an entertainment piece um, rather than an art piece, you do need that empathetic entry point for levity, um, and you do need to have mm-hmm. those ups and downs and that sort of build and release in order to have those good crying. Well, that's what crying is. It's it's kind of this release <laughs> of emotion that's like too much, I guess is like the word I'm going for. Because like you cry when you're really happy, you cry when you're really sad, you cry when you're really frustrated. It's like when you can't take it anymore, that's when your body goes, and we're calming you down now, bitch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I don't know if this is pseudoscience or not, but I think I heard somewhere that, you know, they can analyze your tears for the chemicals, like the neurotransmitters associated to certain feelings, because your tears are just you releasing those neurotransmitters because your brain is flooded with them and like there is overwhelming and you're not able to actually like, I can't, I, I know it's not the right term, but I'm not a neurobiologist. Um, but like your brain can't process all of the happy slime or the sad slime that it's making. So it like lets some of those chemicals out through your tears and yeah, that might I saw that too. not be real science, but I will choose to live in the reality where it is real science. Yeah. I saw that too. And it's literally exactly what you said, Katie. Like your brain says like, you're so happy or so sad or so angry or so frustrated right now. So you have way too much of this chemical and we're going to cry it out. Yeah. There's too much. You have to like pour some. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like there is actually like, like Mabel, you are right. It is, um, there is a difference in molecular structure of your different tiers, like based off of like that happiness or sad crying or angry crying um there was a study done and they have like a little like photos and like microscope stuff it's yeah, yeah it's i've seen cool. that yeah. it yeah, sounds like we so all cool. saw the same thing and yeah. now i want to I'm, I'm gonna fact check it right now yeah okay well if you find um, it you can drop some links in the show notes so that our listeners yeah. can also read about it the project is called topography of tears and i do not want notifications thank you very much <laughs> well what i love about the concept of crying is that when you do cry and it's a really good cry, like I'm talking full snot, like release of like the waterworks, it feels really good afterwards. Like you Doesn't feel mm-hmm. so like refreshed. And it's I, it's kind of like getting a really good nap. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just a reset. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I often wonder, like, knowing that, knowing the psychology and knowing the, like, biopsychology of a human when you're, like, creating something like a film, like, is it intentional to be aware of, like, what gets people to cry and, like, having it, oh, like, sort of manipulating people's emotions to either make them cry or not? Like, I wonder how much of that, like, consciously or unconsciously goes into it, um, because, like, as someone who likes to write and someone who likes to be in, like, working with film people, um, typically, if I'm, like, writing a script and I want 
like I don't necessarily think about I mean I think about the audience in some aspect but like most of it is about like what are these characters going through and like what is the emotional through line for these characters and like I wonder like how many passes it would take to then be like ooh, how are the audience going to react to these characters you know yeah that's to me like a marker of good art and good storytelling not of course 100% of the time but it is manipulating people's emotions and it's amazing and I love it and I appreciate it. It's emotional witchcraft. Yeah. Yes. I like the term emotional witchcraft because like part of me, I, I feel like part of me has like, I think I'm just sensitive to the word manipulate, but I know that in a way it's, it's a lot of directing the audience to feel what you're feeling because a lot of what storytelling mm-hmm. is, is a, or has been throughout like human history is a way to teach people. Mm-hmm. how to relate to things and how to relate to others, yeah. mm-hmm. um, which I find fascinating. Here's a fucked up story so you can learn a lesson without doing the fucked up things in the story. Like, yes, <laughs> that's what a lot of storytelling is, is like, you need to learn this without making the mistakes necessary to learn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The concept of storytelling in itself within humanity is just fascinating to me because like, as social creatures, like, that is the one way to, like, make sure something sticks in someone's mind is to have them relate it to their life through a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also, like, one of the... I I might be going on two different tangents here, but it's, it's also the argument for why you should have more representation um, in media, especially with Hollywood, because um, then that can actually induce empathy. Um, also... Like, storytelling has been, like, a huge part of, like, just normal, like, mythology, but also, like, telling people how to, like, live. Like, there are so many, like, indigenous cultures and, like, cultures around the world that use storytelling as, like, a this is the map. I'm just going to tell you the story, but through this story, you now know, like, where Mm -hmm. to go, you know. Katie, were there any specific instances in this movie that got you to start crying? Yeah. Or that made you emotional. Yeah. yeah. Or any, like, um, really emotionally hard-hitting moments. Definitely think, um, again, like, I, I agree with Maybell pointing out the whole with, uh, moment with Carrie and um, his mom was really powerful. But I think the point where I just, I know that I had an emotional attachment to was after that final sort of, like, bar fight scene that mm-hmm. cuts to her sitting on the rooftop with her dad and, like, the sun's shining. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think that, at least for Casey, the character was a moment of release and a moment of, like, going back into her memory and trying to find something to hold on to. Mm -hmm. And that really got me. I started tearing up a little. (laughs) Um, Abel, did you cry? I Or, Katie, do you have more? Uh, I don't think I have any more, like, actual tears. Tears, um... Again, like, I, I, I'm I, not a huge movie crier, which is, like, a weird thing to say, mm-hmm. and I think that's just because I, I tend to like to watch movies from an analytical point of view. Um, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> mm, but that's yeah. just as typical as being a movie crier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, actually, so, yes, I, I have a few moments of, like, emotional stuff I wanted to talk about, but... Um, mm-hmm. You know, I get what you mean, Katie, about being an analytical watcher, because I think a part of me was working so hard to understand this movie that I had a hard time experiencing the emotional 
journey of it. Um, so, cause I'm a big crier. I like cry at a lot of things. And usually that's because like, while I do try to watch movies with a very analytical and critical framework, I also approach the like experience of listening to the words as an actor. And I try to watch movies and understand characters through like fully giving over to their real, to their circumstances. And usually I will just start crying, like watching anything because I will try to put myself in the character's position, really live in the circumstances of their plot. And like, I can act and then I'll just be like, okay, I can access tears in their place. But this movie was such a film like, you yeah. know, like with a little swirly, quirly, like, yeah. like calligraphy. That a part of me was like, try, like, I was focused during this movie. I watched every frame, but I did have a little bit of a hard time, like, truly living in the circumstances. I know I've said it like three times, like, barf, but like, I had a hard time fully engaging as an emotional being in it because I was just trying to make sure I understood what was going on. Yeah. Oh, I, but, I definitely, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, this is definitely one of those movies that is very much art um, rather than an emotional entertainment experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. I think I teared up the most when they showed the flashback of the dad bringing the dressed up kids to their mom's new house with her rich husband and begging oh. her to, to come back to him. And, like, and the kids seeing her reject their entire family. Like, that was so upsetting. So that was when I full, when I teared up the most. Yeah. I really, I mean, I think the, the like, I really love character development. And that's just some coming from someone who loves TV writing and loves television. And so, mm-hmm. like, at that moment, I'm just like, ooh, give me an entire episode with that. I need to see more pain and I need exactly. to see their growth. I need to see their characters. Ooh, what does the mom have flaws? Obviously she has flaws, but like, what is her flaw? What is her dream? Like, I just, yeah. I wanted, I wanted more of these characters because I'm such a, like a character driven, I guess, creator, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kimia, did you cry? I did not cry and I felt very weird about it, but now I don't feel weird about it. <laughs> um, but we'll talk, maybe, maybe I'll talk more about that. Would be great. The film. Yeah. Yeah. I think my last big notes were about, uh, about Casey and Carrie's relationship because mm-hmm. the first time that you see Casey smile is when Carrie comes back into her life. And mm-hmm. like before that she doesn't smile and that's like probably 25 or 20 minutes into the movie. Um, and, like, the very few moments of levity revolve around Carrie. And they show a little bit of her reconnecting with him and accessing a part of her life that isn't awful, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that also made it a very hard-hitter moment at the end when Casey tries to fight Carrie into staying like mm. that was also that was very emotional like watching Yeah, that her. was hard to watch. Yeah, that was really hard to watch um and fighting him when when he tries to get out the door like ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> yeah. 
But like the entire oh. movie was oof, ow, my heart. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, oh. one oof after another. Constantly. Just a snowball avalanche of oof, ah, heart breaking. <laughs> one oof over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that phrase was like, you have to say this. You have to say me. Yes. Sometimes, Good. like, a phrase just pops up in your brain and you have to say it out loud. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a chaos thought. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Do we have other sad moments to talk about? Oh, I also remembered um, pretty much, like, in the middle of the movie when Casey and Carrie are having a conversation about Casey's work. And Carrie's, like, Carrie just says that he doesn't judge Casey for what she's had to do to keep their dad alive. I was like, that was so nice. That was like really, yeah. That was, that was really nice. Like I, I, I didn't get wet eyed, but I, I really appreciated that moment. I, yeah. I agree with you. Like I think, I think the relationship between Casey and Carrie was really well done in this. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Not quite the, uh, the movie that you could be like, oh, I cried my eyes out, but definitely one that you went. Yeah. It was, it was sad. Yeah. <laughs> I do wish that. Like, the subtitles would translate every instance of a foreign language. I'm really frustrated with movies nowadays because don't show me brackets foreign language. Like, I don't want to see that shit. Like, you could put brackets, name of language, and then, like, translate what they said. I want to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I kind of thought that was intentional. And now it's occurring to me that it might not be intentional. Yeah, I... I definitely think that there needs to be some sort of um, mainstream push for the use of language and other languages in movies um, in the Mm -hmm. the United States. Because I've noticed as someone who loves languages and loves learning languages, if I write a language in a script, most of the time when people read it, they're like, oh, no one's going to get this. It's in a different language. Like there's this some sort of like weird sort of like avoidance towards foreign languages um Mm -hmm. as being like other rather than having other languages be the fabric of the world that these american citizens live in um and like i agree with you it's like i would rather have that accessible where i can actually see the subtitles of what they're saying especially someone who doesn't speak korean um Mm -hmm. and make that a little bit more accessible to me so I can it, it can be accessible as me to like relate to the story, um, rather than just saying they're speaking Korean, you know. Yeah, and I, I think that's just I think that's just something that I want to see different in movies going forward. Um, is I want to see this sort of acceptance of being able to be bilingual or multilingual and transition between languages, because mm-hmm. um, oftentimes like they just make characters speak with a heavy accent if they're pretending yeah. to speak a different language. And that mm. that's a whole, whole rigmarole of nonsense with that. Um, but also I think it having other languages in films normalizes families and communities speaking languages other than English. Mm-hmm. And that's important just yeah. on its own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Okay, should we move to ratings? Yeah, I think we should get to ratings. Kimia, can you run through the rating scale? I would love to. One teardrop, bone dry. Two teardrops, I could see myself crying, but I didn't this time. Three teardrops, it got me a little. Four teardrops, I cried. 
and five teardrops is full sobbing. All right. So Katie, why don't you go first and give us your rating of this movie? Okay. Um, I, before I give the rating, I have to preface this by saying like, this does not denote my favorability of this movie. I love this movie of a course. lot. Um, this is just my crying rating and my crying rating is like a 2.5, maybe a three. Um, cause I mm. teared up a little, but I wasn't like tearing up, tearing up. Like it was just like yeah. slightly watery. Yeah. How about you, Kimia? I also feel like I need to preface my rating. Um, it's a very sad movie. I yes. didn't cry and I don't know if I would cry again. And I feel really, really weird saying that it's a one teardrop film. Yeah. I think this is our <laughs> first one. I think so. And I like, it doesn't seem fair. Like there are so many other movies. It doesn't seem fair because this is such a sad movie. It is yeah, so there are, sad. There are so many movies out there that could be emotional for some people and just simply not for me. But it's mm-hmm. so emotional. It's so sad. And I didn't cry. And I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Um, but it could definitely make a person sob. Mm-hmm. I think. Especially if they reunited with their estranged sibling yes. while their parent was dying. Yeah. Yes. Mabel, did you, what, what would you rate the movie? So I am going to give this movie and yeah, I gotta say it is kind of shocking for me because I'm the heavy crier. I usually give ratings in the fours and fives, but this, I, I had no tears fall below my eye line. So I'm going to have to give it a 2.75 because I did have a little bit of watering up happen, but no like release of tears. I'm going to put it, you know, above two because I think maybe if I were to like really study this film and try to approach it from a character's perspective, I could cry, but I didn't. And I was thinking too hard to, (laughs) to do that. It's, it's a sad movie without catharsis. Yeah. I guess that's just I think it. That's like part most of, it is, of the movies, yeah. Well, okay. Catharsis cries. The catharsis in this movie is just not tear jerking. And I think that's that a great point. We should talk about the catharsis in this movie, but we're going to cover it in our ad break. Yeah. So. And I think it's time for our ad break. I agree. So I think we should take that ad break right about now. Today's episode of Tear Jerkers is brought to you by gangs of girls beating the shit out of a rapist. That's right. Thank God. Thank you so much for sponsoring this show, Gangs of Girls Beating the Shit Out of a Rapist. <laughs> We're so happy to have you on our pl- on our platform, on our podcast. We love to see it. This is my favorite ad break of all time. I have to say Past this is, and future episodes. This is probably the only ad break where it's really just a continuation of the movie discussion, but I really wanted to talk about this part of the movie because I have to say when Casey first gets up and hits the guy with the bottle, not the guy who's attacking her, but like, you know, the guy who's attacking the other girl in the karaoke room, I stood up and clapped when she did that. Yeah. I was like, yes, you queen, thank you for doing something. And then seeing all of the other girls come pouring out of the different karaoke rooms and pull this asshole off of her and start wailing on him. I was just like elated, incredible mm-hmm. joy. Just. You have to so know good. that yeah. is pent up. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, all of that, that was not about this one incident. No. That was about their whole entire job as being like, yeah. nope. 
I've, I can't, I just, you know. It's, it's the pent-up rage of, like, many, many young women who have been working in this industry where they're routinely harassed and assaulted. And, like, they finally are like, oh, fuck yes, the guy crossed the line and I'm allowed to beat his ass. And they do. And it's so good to watch. And I truly, truly wanted Casey to stab him with the bottle. Oh, my God. Me, too. I wanted to see it happen. But I also recognize that, like, the story shouldn't end with her going to prison. Um mm -hmm. But yes, I wanted to see it happen. I wanted him dead. I wanted him bleeding and on the ground, a husk of a man. Yeah, I wanted him to have scars that he would have to explain to his like work contacts. Oh, for sure. I wanted him to be too terrified to ever step foot in a karaoke bar again. Yeah, give the man trauma. He deserves it. What I really love about that scene is that any, like I'm gonna say woman in the audience, um, again, Sexual assault can happen to anyone of any gender. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, uh, for a vast majority of people, that is a very ubiquitous, like, female experience. Um, and just being a female person in the audience, seeing that in a crowd of people, was so satisfying to hear other mm -hmm. people cheer when that happened yeah. in a the theater. Mm -hmm. And, like, that was an amazing experience. Yes. I feel like moments like those, those are my team sports moments. Like... <laughs> Like, I get up and I holler at the screen and I finally understand why my dad yelled about football because, fuck yes, it feels so good to watch other people do things that you want to do. And this is specifically one of those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like the one thing that I do miss about movie theaters now that we're in oh, COVID yeah. times. It's mm -hmm. like this sense of camaraderie while we're having we're, this shared experience. Yeah. You know? Like... Like, the collective, like, groaning in a movie theater when something yeah. happens. And then, like, the cheer together. Like, did you watch Knives Out yes. in movie theaters? Yes. Yeah. There's, like, there's a moment in that movie where, like, where you could all kind of cheer. It yeah. was great. Anyway, yeah, I do miss that. I love that about movie theaters. Yeah. Like, I think that's, like, the one experience that, like, I'm, like really super missing right now is a crowded theater and everyone just like going through this same journey together and just seeing a gang of girls beat up a racist uh, not racist rapist that too we that could be our sponsor next week yeah i mean i just that was a slip and i didn't mean it but like maybe i did who knows subconscious brain um but it's just it, it is a sense of camaraderie and a sense of community which was mm -hmm. a nice mm -hmm. experience <laughs> I guess girl gang dream yeah like I want jackets and I want support system and <laughs> I want backup in a fight yeah <laughs> I this is off topic for the ad break and the show okay that's fine. but I wanted to talk about it um the part of the movie where that guy is like I'm gonna buy you a Han book and then he buys it for her and then she burns it mm -hmm. after that experience that was like so she's like struggling in poverty and mm -hmm. he buys her this like very expensive garment that is meaningful to her culturally mm -hmm. and also kind of colored with sadness from that incident in her childhood where her father brings her to like try to convince her mother to come back and then um, she has that other experience in the karaoke room and then she has to burn it. And like, that's so sad. 
Yeah, but it's that also her connection so with that garment. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like her connection with that cultural garment is like just there's so many incidents. Yeah, it is of definitely like a deeply complicated and colored event in the movie. From yeah. the purchasing of the garment to then her later wearing it like to host and then mm-hmm. burning it like that. Yes. That arc yeah. is just <sighs> All right. Well, then let's get back to the show. Today we're closing up with Tissue Tunes, which is the segment in which we talk about the songs that make us cry. Katie, do you have a crying song? Yeah, actually, I I do have got a couple. Um I think my criteria for crying songs is what would be the song that plays after a big fight in a movie that I run off the screen crying and there's like a montage of me either sitting on a train or sitting in my bedroom mm-hmm. just like looking out the window with tears rolling down. Um, mm-hmm. And like I came up with two. So the first one is Your Best American Girl by Mitski. Oh my God. Oh, Mitski. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And then the other one was I Don't Want to Be Funny Anymore by Lu- Lucy Dacus. Damn. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And I'm like, these songs like hit me in that sort of like in the indie movie of my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, where I would just be on a montage on a train with my headphones and just sobbing after a confrontation. Mm-hmm. Um, especially though, um, your best American girl, because oh yeah, that one. There's a line in that. Um, it's something along the lines of like your mom won't like the way that my mama raised me or something like that. Um, I'm I know I'm not quoting it exact, but it's similar to that, and that is a feel that I feel constantly. Especially when I'm like, this is going to sound all the way. It's like if in like the dating experience, like if I'm dating a white boy, like that line hits me so Mm. hard. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's true. It's like it's like typically if I'm dating a white boy, his white mama doesn't really get the fact that I'm slightly Asian. Oh, those are both great crying songs. Yeah. yeah. Good choices. Good choices. Maybe what about you? So my pick for this week is um, The Fire in Me, which is from the musical Little Women. Pretty much all my songs are probably going to be for musicals. I'm just going to say this now. Like, prepare yourselves. I'm a theater kid, a musical theater kid. So, um, so listeners should just be aware of that. Most of my songs will be songs from musicals. So The Fire in Me is the song that um, in Little Women is sung by Joe after Beth's death. And it's about like how, how could she possibly find a way to move on from her sister's death. And that song has always meant a lot to me. And when I was doing some vocal training classes in college, um, that was supposed to be the song that I was going to present for my final, my freshman year. But due to tragedy and like really like difficult things I was dealing with um, that at that time, um, during like my penultimate like class rehearsal, um, I tried to sing the song in front of the class and I like couldn't sing it without having an emotional breakdown. And I like did the whole like run out of the room with the tears and the anime style, like, like, you know, <laughs> heels, 
heels kicking. Um, but like, it was a really difficult time for me. And so I told my vocal like instructor for that semester, like, Hey, can I change my song? Because I don't think that I'm going to be able to do this song without having a like emotional meltdown. It, like this thing that I'm dealing with is really, really difficult. And it's so present that I don't have the like narrative distance to deal with it right now. Um, and then he yelled at me because I didn't ask him for permission. I told him I was changing my song and he made me cry by yelling at me for <sighs> not asking him properly. So let me just say, fuck you, Dr. Cause you knew what I was going through because the entire music department was going through that shit. And it was completely inappropriate way to talk to me. Also Gage, please beep the doctor's name. Um, We'll just, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, Jesus so that's Christ. my crying song story. Um, it's the first thing I could think of when you asked okay. if you could do tissue tunes. So so that's me. What about you, Kimia? Um, okay, so mine isn't the most, like, moving song tonally, mm -hmm. but I have cried to it. And it's the best song about crying ever, and it's Johnny Cash's Big River. Ooh, the first line one. of the song is... I taught the weeping willow how to cry. And Ooh. it's true. <laughs> Listen to it. It's great. Gotta it might not it. make you cry. It has like, it's kind of jaunty sort of, mm -hmm. um, but it is about crying and it's great. And I recommend it. Okay. I think that's it. I think it's time to wrap up the show. Mm -hmm. Katie, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Tear Jerkers. Where uh, can our listeners follow you? Yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, you can find me on the socials, uh, Kate Reed 427 on most socials. And that's Kate as in Charlie Alpha Igloo Tango. Um, and you can also find me on CaitlinReed.com, which is C-A-I-T-L-I-N Reed, uh, R-E-E-D.com. I'll have a blog and I've got uh, like places you can just see what I'm working on with updates and stuff like that um, from that site. So, yeah, it's been really great being on the show. That's awesome. Thank you so yeah. much, Katie. It was so great to have you on. Thanks so much for having me. I, it, it's been fun. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's all, folks. Did you like Ms. Purple? Can you summarize the message of this movie and explain it to us? Tell us on Twitter at tearjerkers underscore pod and join the conversation with other listeners on Facebook at tearjerkers community. And if you want to send us a voice memo with your movie nomination and why that film made you cry, you can send that to tearjerkers.podcast at gmail.com. And if you have the time, if you could please just give us a five-star review and rating on whatever you use to listen to us, it just helps us reach more ears. And don't forget to subscribe or favorite on whatever app you use. So that way you can be sure to catch our next episode where we're going to be discussing Monsters, Inc. And as always, tell your friends about this podcast. Tell someone you know who loves independent films. Or if you know the person who wrote the music for this movie, tell them to call me. I promise. I just want to talk. Just a little conversation. Just a, little. Just a cute, fun little conversation. No violence. Forward. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> Well, Tear Jerkers is produced by me, Maybell Shimizu, and co-hosted by me and Kimia Ranchbaron. The wizard behind our intro music and the editing hero of this podcast is Gage Pryor. You can find more of his tunes at soundcloud.com slash Lincoln, please. Thanks for listening and call your brother. Please.